You're listening to the People Insights podcast from Cognisco with Owen Ashby. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Don Taylor. Donald Taylor is a veteran of the learning skills and human capital industries with experience at every level from delivery to chairman of the board. A recognized commentator and organizer in the fields of workplace learning and learning technologies, Donald is passionately committed to helping develop the learning and development profession. Welcome, Don. Thank you very much, Owen. Thank you for agreeing to speak with us today, Don. Uh, we've been really looking forward to your contribution. Uh, so, I wanted to start really, Don, by talking about about the world of learning because I think that's really your thing, um, and and y you've got a huge amount of experience of expertise across all of the roles that you've held over many years. Um, it seems to me that that whole world is going through significant change and transformation, and I guess from my perspective, that's driven largely by technology. But how do you do see the agenda changing for learning and learning departments over the next few years? It's driven by technology in one respect. It's also yeah. enabled by technology. But the drivers are also elsewhere, particularly macroeconomic and societal drivers as well. It would be a mistake to assume that everything is around the technology. But having said all that, uh, I think if we look at technology and all the other drivers and what they're asking L&D to do now, we see a learning and development function that is very different to what it was when I started as a stand-up trainer in 1980-whatever, uh, teaching people English. Uh, I then went on to do software training and what have you. It, in, in those days, there two ways of getting information. You talk to somebody or you got it from a book. And there were a couple of ways, but that was basically it. Now, we have an entirely different way of presenting information to people and helping people learn skills, which are two slightly different things. But in addition, it's not just what the L&D function is capable of doing, thanks to technology. In addition to that, there are changes in the world we're working in. It's a different environment. The most obvious change is that information is free. We've gone from the world being a world where knowledge was power to where information is free. Mm -hmm almost free, I should say. We've also gone from a world in which there were the pace of change was reasonably slow to one in which the pace of change is much faster. In, 20, in 2008, the um, amount of time it took to get from concept to production of a car was about five years. It's now between 24 and 36 months or, or less. Yeah. Uh, things get turned around much faster because the technology and the ways of working have all been compressed thanks to technology. So, just in time supply chains, for example, the ability to coordinate working across multiple teams electronically and so on have all compressed that. Now, that's something which is separate to L&D, but absolutely is part of the world we're working in. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to that? And it's not just about, oh, I can do things with, I can do mobile content now. It's a much bigger picture than that. And for example, in that particular instance, we're looking at things happening faster, we have to ask ourselves, is a course always the right answer to a performance need? The answer is, is absolutely not. But that's just one answer. So 
to answer your question, uh, everything has changed about the world we work in, what we can do. And I think we have to have a new attitude towards our role in order to do our best job serving the individuals and the organizations that we are beholden to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fantastic to, to, to look more broadly at some of the drivers and some of the some of the sort of agendas coming together much more quickly. I like the whole idea of, of JIT just in time really coming together. And I guess it's people's individual expectations, both as an employer and an employee, which are shifting too. Expectations of the workplace, ex- expectations of the learning environment, pot- potentially expectations of their role or function as well. We have a, a bizarre conflict here. People as... Uh, it, citizens in society and people Mm. as individuals. As citizens in society, we are um, acclimatized over the first 15 years or so of our lives to believe that learning is synonymous with training or the classroom experience. And in particular, not so much with being in a classroom, but with a course, that there is a process that we go through to learn. Mm. As individuals, we are much more likely to see an issue and then find a way to tackle it. And that might be by learning something, it might be by finding some performance support. Classic case, there's something wrong with your, your plumbing and you go to YouTube to sort it out. Mm. The, the L&D function has a weird dislocation, therefore. The organization and individuals in the organization simultaneously have two different views of learning. One is, oh, learning is like training. The other is, oh, I get my job done by using these tools and acting as a consumer in the 21st century. Uh, we have to say to them, actually, when you say training, you're wrong. Or there are other ways of learning things. And by the way, that stuff you do on YouTube, you know, we do that too. Uh, but also, don't bear in mind that sometimes it's not a short-term fix. Sometimes you do need long-term capability building. So, in other words, we need to change people's view about what learning in the organization is. And that means putting ourselves in charge of the view of learning, not anymore accepting the understandable assumptions that people come into the workplace with, with having spent 15 years in education. Yeah. No, I get that. It's a really interesting dynamic. And it's almost like the, 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 the current kind of capability of things like, as you say, like YouTube, creates a kind of autodidact of, of, of the of the individual where they, yeah. they they're ready to kind of learn but they don't necessarily consider it learning uh, so, so bringing those two agendas together creating a sort of common vernacular maybe how, how how do you think it changes what what the business is asking of of l and d what if you achieve that well I, th- I think that that for me, just as you see a dislocation between between the way that, that L&D usually articulates its value back to the business or, or the way in which it, what it's seeking to deliver and the way in which the business uses it, I, I, I think that the, the, learn, the, the, the business typically has, a, has an imperative one way or another that, it, that it's looking to achieve um, and the way that it communicates that to the, to, to, to the learning department is, seems to be shifting to me. It seems to be, I think, that the business is asking different things and expecting different things from the learning function, and, and perhaps they're not communicating that very well, um, and, and therefore it's hard for the L&D people to respond. Do you see a shift in what, in what the, the business is asking for, or demanding or expecting, 
and do you see that the L&D function can respond to that? I definitely see a shift in what the business needs. Right. In some organisations, that's actually recognised. Right. And in some of those organisations, that's actually conveyed to the learning and development department. And in some of those organisations, the learning and development department steps, stands up and is prepared to meet the challenge. But in oh. too many places, what happens is organisations deal with the symptoms rather than the uh, causes of what's going on. So you might you might see that your customer service uh, is down. You might see that uh, you're you're dropping off on sales with uh, regular customers. Uh, you might see a whole bunch of different things that are all actually symptomatic of uh, high turnover of staff. Is another one. Mm. All symptomatic very often of one um, or a handful of causes. But one of those handful of causes will be that people aren't necessarily getting the constant in the workplace, in the work experience, learning that they require to do a good job. So not all organisations absolutely see that, but the organisations that do see it recognise then that they need to do something about it, which is something to do with learning, but it's not training. In the, mm. in the established schoolroom assumption mm. way that they have. So uh, for those organizations, yes, they're being transformative. But it takes a long time for those thousand cuts of these different symptoms to have an effect on an organization. I think, though, that what's really pushing organizations at the moment is that they, they see themselves as, as falling behind from where they want to be and rather than putting that in the bucket of, well, we're not able to keep our people properly engaged and, and learning all the time on the job, they are saying, well, we need to digitally transform. In a way, they're right. It's part of the same issue. Uh, mm. And I like the fact that people are looking at one big issue. And I do think that that, that digital transformation piece is something if learning development can hook itself onto, it's something that they can really help establish themselves in the organization as making a difference. So if you, if you can mm. hit yourself onto the digital transformation star, then mm. you can be taken seriously by the organization, provided, of course, that you deliver. AXA did a great job in the low, in the low countries, uh, Netherlands and uh, Belgium, I think Benelux altogether, actually. Um, they recognized they needed to get their executives thinking differently about the digital world they were working in. And so they worked... They, what they did was, and it sounds a bit bizarre, a reverse mentoring program. All the executives were in a very structured way. It was a very well thought out program with a team of young employees to understand what the digital world today looks like. After uh, six months, immediately these executives were all saying, you know what, I, I understand the world differently. I'm acting differently now and I'm doing things in a different way. And a year after that, they had actually transformed their business because they saw what the world they'd come from was not whether it now, thanks to being able to look at it through this digital lens. So the digital transformation came as a result of, if you like, a training exercise, but it's much more than a training exercise. It's about getting people to shift their mindsets and the way they perform and act uh, using technology. And the trainers in this case, if you like to call them that, were a bunch of new graduates, new hires, who saw the world in a different way. So that's a great example of digital transformation making it having a real impact on the business and it being led by, and other things as well, but it was led by a change in people's behaviours through human intervention. Well, wow, fantastic example. That was a very brave proposition to put to the board, I suspect. Did that come from L&D or did that come from... It came the from the top. No, it came from the top.
stopped. Right. Uh, and so with these things, always, when you get digital transformation, in fact, any, any transformation in an organization, and it's done successfully, it, it, it almost always comes from the top. I don't think, I, I'd love to hear of an example where it's been led by L&D, but all the cultural transformation, including digital transformation, uh, episodes I've seen that have been successful have all been led from the top. Well, uh, that's yeah, that's really fascinating. It's fascinating how those two those two agendas and two two dialogues can start to to merge the the, the learning and development and the digital transformation piece. Interestingly, um, the next uh, person we'll be speaking to on this podcast series is from Swisscom, where they've where it has been led by L and D. So yes. up to speed on that one. <laughs> who are you talking? Who are you talking to? Patrick from Swisscom, and uh, this, uh, it's where, where they created a whole, a whole. It's almost like a democratized model um, for. It's, I hesitate to call it reverse mentoring, but it's a similar, similar sort of principle. Um, and, it, and I think it, it, it started really as an L and D transformation rather than a, a, a digital transformation. But it's, it's along similar lines. It's really interesting to see people being brave about doing those kinds of things. I think. Um, so yeah, Pigmy yeah, the, the Pigmy the interview. I'd love to um, read it or listen to. It, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he did. It, Patrick wrote a, a, a case study that was published on LinkedIn. I, I shall point everybody and indeed your good self to it, Don. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'll introduce you too because he's a fascinating chap. So uh, so yeah, be a good conversation. I'm, I'm I'm sure. So that's that's really interesting. So that's a kind of new agenda that that, that learning people should be. That should be hugely aware of. It's a it's a it's a route to 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 the executive, I guess, isn't it? And a route to the current agenda in businesses, and and potentially, I guess, you know, basically a route to budget to achieve some of the things that you're looking to achieve, and and, and creating relevance for some of the things that we're trying to do. So what you've pointed to there, though, is is I can uh, guarantee. I, 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 I sorry, Patrick. I, I, sorry, uh, I can guarantee. That, I can guarantee that every executive in organization at least one executive has got digital transformation in their mind so if you can hitch what you're doing to that you're going to get you're going to get an open door just make sure yeah. we can deliver well yeah and there therein is the is the challenge and and a, really, <laughs> a potential excellent segue into the into the book that we referenced earlier that you you, you published last year which looks at effectively as i understand it the sort of success criteria of, of implementing learning tech and some of the perils and pitfalls along the way. Can you give us a bit of insight on that front? Well, yeah, I mean, the book's called Learning Technologies in the Workplace and it's published by Cone Page. And if you go to, actually, if you just search for Donald H. Taylor, I'm sure it will come up. We'll be providing a link, don't worry, Donald. Thank, thank you. Anyway, the point is that if you are implementing a learning technology in the, in the workplace, they fail three reasons that I've uh, been able to identify. There's, there's a lot more into the book than, than just this, but the three reasons for things failing are they are poorly led, which encompasses a whole lot of things. There is more project management. In other words, the execution isn't up to it. And finally, the marketing and communications, by which I don't mean trying to convince someone to buy something, but I mean the process of listening to people and acting in an agile way to alter your offering all the way in the long line from conception through delivery into the sustained period, the marketing communications piece is weak. So if you don't lead, if you don't do project management, if you don't have the right marketing communications and listening, you're 
project is almost certainly going to fail. On the other hand, they're predictable things, and there are easy things you can do to fix those. And if you get those right, you should be able to do it. Uh, the point is that you've got to take control. And it's the leadership thing, which is the, the most important, probably. I mean, it's this business of being able to get out there and say, we're running this project, and we are simultaneously laser-focused on success and willing to negotiate on the way to get there. There's always a, a series of uh, conflicting things that good leadership is able to do, and that's one of them. Deal with that strong focus and be happy to compromise on the way to get there. Fabulous. And, and I guess it must have something to do with great stakeholder engagement, CXO engagement, those kinds of things driven from the board, or is this, you know, without that kind of dialogue, and maybe pulling that back into the digital transformation agenda, hooking it to a, a, a broader business imperative, maybe? If you don't have a business imperative, you're sunk, because how on earth, uh, firstly, do you know you succeeded in terms yeah. of business? Secondly, yeah. when something goes wrong, and it will go wrong, you yeah. need friends. And those friends have to be people who bought into this right at the beginning because you showed them it was a way of solving a problem. So when I talk about marketing communications and leadership, I'm talking about leadership having the ability to ask questions, listen, and build exactly what you said, the stakeholder management piece, which means that firstly you do the analysis, then you do the communications, you work out who your friends are, who you have to keep informed, and crucially, you seek out difficult conversations. Learning development is great at sitting in the comfortable corner talking to people who think we do a good job. Yeah, that's lovely, but to be successful in an implementation, you've got to go and find people who disagree with you. Get those people on board, turn them around, and you're well on the way to success. You know, I think that is fantastic. I think that is a fantastic nugget, the gold dust piece of information. I think it's about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in, I think any, any implementation of anything I've seen been successful. It's living in this cosy world of assumption and kind of avoiding the difficult conversations, which always, always comes back to bite you. And those I've seen take those challenges head on. Um, always successful because actually you're getting to the root cause of, of, of why potentially yeah. people are objectors or blockers one way or the other, rather than making an assumption. I wonder how many of, of people in the learning development community are confident in having those kinds of conversations. Um, so maybe maybe people will let us know what they think about that, but I, I think that's a really, a really interesting piece of advice. Thank you. So how are you seeing the learning marketplace shifting to address those kinds of challenges? Are you seeing new entrants, new solutions, new providers? Yeah, I have to be very careful. I wear a whole bunch of different hats. So I'm the chairman of the Learning Technologies Conference. I'm the chairman of the Learning Performance Institute. I deal a lot with individual suppliers. I can't, I, I, I'm very wary of pointing to individual companies. But yes, there are people doing interesting things. Now, there are people doing interesting things in our field, and there are also people doing fascinating things uh, on the periphery yeah. and coming in from left field. Absolutely. So one of the big things uh, for me is content. Um, I won't name names, but I've, I have this pyramid of content that I talk about, which was based on some work originally by Clive Shepard and Nick Shackleton-Jones, some thoughts they had in blogs around 2014, 2015. And I sort of ran with that, and I think that the, the supply of content now is much more complex than it used to be. You've got, if you think of a pyramid at the top, you've got really high-quality uh, Hollywood production stuff at the bottom. You've got a layer which is free stuff from the internet. In the middle, you've got a whole bunch of different things. We make it ourselves, user-generated content. But also in the middle, you've got something new, 
which is what I call curated content sets. And this is content which has been sourced either for free or from a supplier somewhere. But someone stepped in the middle of the process and said, we're going we're to find this information, this, this learning content, put it all together and create these content sets which are suitable for your organization for one particular role. So if you've got salespeople who are operating in North America, here's a content set for them. Salespeople operating in the European territory, here's a, a similar but slightly different set of content. And if you've got people who are on the production line, they've got a different set of content. So in other words, what we're saying is the old days of giving somebody uh, access to an entire library of content is counterproductive. There is simply too much there to be able to find what you need. Rather than that, there'll be somebody in the middle who is effectively, if you like, a training information broker. Somebody who comes in and provides a, uh, a curated set of stuff just for the organization. I've seen this happen very successfully. That shifts the role of L&D uh -huh. from being the people who create and distribute courses to the people who find the best brokers, the best curators of content for their organization. And they're able to work with them. They work with them well, not because they're good at creating content, that's the L&D team, but because the L&D team knows its business well. So they can go out and they can find the right curators. That's a different skill set that we need in the L&D team, but it's a crucial one. So that's one example. Other things we can see coming in from the outside, of course, AI, artificial intelligence. We absolutely know that large organizations, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, have all expressed an interest one way or the other in using AI generally, but specifically AI in the learning field. We can expect these large organizations to be playing in our field very soon. In fact, they already are. Yeah, in sure. some cases. Uh, on the other hand, you'll also have you also have little startups who are very specialised doing AI as well, and we can expect those to be coming in as well. So uh, expect what you're doing to look very different in two years' time to what it already is right now because of the pace of change. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, and that's why it's such an exciting time to be, I think, in this market at all, which, whichever part of it you're in. Um, it's so dynamic, it's changing so quickly, it's so exciting, I think. And it's really critical, I think, what you said, that there's, there's a, a new set of skills required for the learning function to be looking slightly differently at the world and to be able to have a sort of, you know, a, a credible discussion wider, wider, more widely across the business, etc. And to be able to navigate their way through all of those kind of technologies and opportunities, etc. So, so, yeah, really exciting time. And I think some of those areas are going to are really going to bring forth some some fantastic new initiatives and directions, and obviously we're we're in that space too. Um, so uh, you know the whole idea of AI, I see being, in fact, just moving into the people analytics space, um, seeing yep. seeing that bringing bringing what we're doing in this space collectively, what we're doing in this space, really f front and center for the executive function. Some of that insight, some of that initiative, some of that data is, 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 is fascinating stuff. So a great time to be here. And one of the things I think maybe it's slightly more old-fashioned, starting to see a resurgence of, I think, is the employee value proposition. People are starting to consider a bit more now how they engage talent, how they retain talent, and how they gear themselves up ready for capitalizing on the gig economy. Do you have a view on how... Um, learning and development can contribute to that new employee value proposition idea? Uh, it absolutely does, of course. And if, if you look at uh, it just by itself, learning development 
absolutely helps organisations keep their employees engaged better. We know that. On the other hand, you could also spend the money you might spend on, on L&D doing other things that are also good at doing that. So why spend it on L&D rather than on, I don't know, perks or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I think the answer is that increasingly the money spent on L&D is more valuable to employees for longer. Uh, your employee who takes themselves seriously and is aware of the volatile nature of employment today understands that investing in themselves or getting somebody else to invest in themselves is a crucial reason for going and working with a particular company. And that's why people choose organizations in Christie. It's one of the top three reasons why graduates go to uh, choose, oh, sorry, one of the top, it's one of the top three criteria by which uh, new graduates choose a potential employer is, uh, will I get a well-structured learning development program there? And they know they do that because it's going to help them build their future employment prospects. So it, it's not just that you get people doing their jobs better. You get the engagement in the short term. Uh, you also get the greater productivity. You also get, uh, and all the research shows this, people are much more likely to stay with the organization, particularly during the onboarding process, if you've invested in them and you keep investing in them. So was that what you were referring to, Owen? Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's Again, that's really fascinating. I, I, I'm st start, starting to see already how, how organizations are trying to create um, that kind of self-directed career pathway um, inside the organization already for employees, helping employees navigate their own um, their own career internally, but also in more enlightened kind of areas, creating people who, um, creating pathways for people who, who might go on in, into a wider industry role. So, and, and uh, yeah, absolutely, that, 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 that totally rings true for me, and I think that, that L&D has a, a, an absolutely critical, obvious role to play, to play in that. What a really interesting direction of travel for it. So there's, there's one final question that I ask everybody that contributes, Donald, and, and I think your answer will be really interesting. So if you don't mind, based on your experience and expertise, what one piece of advice or recommendation would you give an organization about to embark on any kind of people change or learning program? Uh, if I had if one piece of advice to give them, it would be don't be constrained by the past. You have unique current challenges that cannot be solved in the way you used to solve them. So listen to your highly skilled professional learning and development department, challenge them, but be ready to accept that they know what they're talking about and they may offer you something which you think is left field, but it could transform your business. Brilliant. I think you're absolutely right. So some of these, some of these agendas, as you're saying earlier, where things are starting to, to shift, and the agendas for are, are, are changing, and we need to look outside the box in terms of think outside the box in terms of what L and D is, what the function can deliver, how it contributes to the wider agenda, and you know, unless the executive are aware of what can be delivered by that by that function, and in fairness, unless the L and D function can communicate that effectively, that dialogue's never yes. going to happen. Yeah, fantastic. And that's the other side of it. We can't we can't sit back and say, hey, it's somebody else's fault. We have to be singing our own song quite strongly. Absolutely. 
Don, that's fantastic. Huge value. Thank you so much indeed. Really very, very insightful. I know you're an incredibly busy man and in huge demand, so it's been a real <laughs> delight. Thank you very much indeed for spending the time speaking with us. Well, all of your contact details, your your full bio, which I know is extensive, um, access to your 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 books, etc., will be available. We'll make that available via our podcast site. Um, is there, can you give us just a quick way to get hold of you if anybody wants to learn a bit more is there a, a, an email address or a phone number or any kind of way of getting That's hold right, of you just, Donald H. Taylor on LinkedIn will, get, will bring me up uh, and contact me on LinkedIn that's always the best way Fabulous, thank you so much really appreciate your time today and I look forward to speaking to you again soon That's us done for this episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at cognisco.com slash podcasts to get the show notes and for more information about this conversation or indeed any others in the series. If you have any questions or suggestions, if you want to make a guest appearance or if you just fancy a chat with Owen, you can get him at oashby at cognisco.com. That's O-A-S-H-B-Y at cognisco.com and feel free to send him a LinkedIn request too. Until next time, thanks again for listening. You've been listening to the People Insights podcast from Cognisco. You can find us on iTunes or via our website, cognisco.com slash insight. Cognisco is a people business. Through assessment, data insight and evidence, we're changing the way organisations think about workforce transformation, learning and compliance.